Shalom, and welcome to Heretics Standing at Sinai, a podcast for those in or adjacent to the Jewish community who are searching for a place to deepen their spirituality without sacrificing their rationality. I am Rabbi Jay Telrav, and each week we will have a conversation about new ways to exist in the world as an intentional presence and ways of making our lives mean something. Whether you've been exploring Jewish spirituality for years, or this is your first time considering it, we're glad you're here. I'm joined this week by a friend from many different parts of my life. Lee Bobier has grown to be a good friend over the years that I've known him, first as the father of my students, and then as the man who contributes an incredible amount of time to a passion of his, that is, scouting, and more recently as a partner in making the world a little better through the efforts of BuildOn, a nonprofit that creates schools all around the globe in some of the poorest communities. Lee and I traveled together first to Senegal in 2019 and then to Malawi in 2022 to break ground on new primary schools with the community members who would use them. In his day job, he's a social worker at Greenwich High School. And he and I have gone camping together with the scouts. We've celebrated skimpchas, and it is such a pleasure to now do a little learning together. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. Shalom, and it's uh, my pleasure. So I think what I'll do is just start out by asking you a question I, I, I like to start with, which is to share a little bit about your journey, your spiritual development, spiritual your growth, journey. and how you arrive at this point. Okay, my spiritual journey. Uh, well, my spiritual journey uh, began with a baptism in the Catholic Church, um, and that, other than Christmas and Easter over many, many decades, that was the uh, extent of my spiritual journey. I did not have a a first communion as many of my peers did because my father had been in a near-fatal car accident uh, during that period of time in our lives, and so instead of studying with our priest and, and uh, Sister Gail... I was going to the hospital to visit my father. Um, in my late 20s, uh, I started dating someone uh, who is now my wife. I was actively sort of seeking something different and kind of being drawn toward sort of Eastern religions, uh, Buddhism. Um, soon after I started dating her, I was playing ultimate frisbee. Uh, hyperextended my knee, tore my ACL, and uh, needed to have surgery to repair it. So if any anyone who's ever had uh, knee surgery knows that there's a significant amount of physical therapy afterwards. And so um, I was spending time at Michelle's apartment. And one day when I was leaving her apartment to go to my physical therapy appointment, uh, I found a book on her bookshelf called What is a Jew? I looked at the book, and it was perfectly set up for the warm-up in my physical therapy, which was 10 minutes on the Stairmaster, when that was a thing. So it was, it was a little bits and pieces about what Judaism is uh, in one and two and three page segments. And as I was reading them, huffing and puffing away on the Stairmaster, I started to think, this makes sense to me. Um, and that began the process of me converting. Um, so, so we went to a, a few events on campus. Uh, we all went to um, an event at Hillel. And, and we 
found out about a, not really a conversion class, but a, a class that was run by uh, a local rabbi uh, that, for people who were interested in either bolstering their own Judaism or learning about Judaism, some anything in between. And several of the couples that were doing this were um, had a member who was interested in converting. So anyway, I then studied with um, a conservative rabbi in Ann Arbor, uh, who uh, to this day is a friend of ours, for close to a year. And it was about October when he said, of that year when he said, uh, you know, you could really convert anytime you want. And I said, well, let me see what it's like getting through December, because there were chapters here and there about the December dilemma um, for Catholics or Christians or, you know, people who celebrate Christmas. So he respected that. And, and you know, I, I did that. I went through December and saw how sort of thought of myself as a Jew and and um, what would it be like? Um, and it was fine. So then I converted shortly after that. And um, here I am. What a fabulous story. Thank you. I knew little pieces of that. And I should say go blue, you know, because you and I have always shared that, <laughs> of course. that uh, passion together. Of course. <sighs> well, I'm going to um, I'm going to bring us over towards the book now. Of course. Um, but I'm going to take a, a brief moment to clarify something because um, you mentioned it before, Lee, and I've also been asked recently about the, the structure of this particular book written by Rami Shapiro. So I want to just uh, remind listeners that... Uh, what we're reading are fictitious letters. They were never actually sent. There is a, a fictitious rabbi that was made up by the author so that he could create a one-sided conversation, answering questions that we don't actually get to see posed, but we can surmise by his answers. And it's a way for this author to creatively deliver his own uh, spirituality and theology to readers. And so as we... Um, as we make our way through this text, we should just remember that the the material in there is not uh, meant to be taken as anyone's Torah because of its uh, its age. It was written, you know, probably I don't know what's what's the uh, the copyright. It was written in 2004, so you know this is not uh, ancient wisdom, uh, but it is still wisdom. All right. At the end of the last episode, I asked you about your assumptions concerning creation. So we're going to take a look at this week's letter and see if you can stretch your understanding of the created world to see it through Reb Yerachmiel's non-dual lens. So when he says creation, he doesn't mean the act of making a world. He means the physicality of the created world, the creation. Okay. He writes, My dearest Aaron Herschel, how wonderful to find your letter waiting for me this morning. I had not expected to hear from you so soon. It is always a delight. And your question, why did God create the world? What is the purpose of creation? Could you have started with anything smaller? Definitions we have. Reasons why? That's another matter altogether. But you ask, and I answer. That is how it is with us, and I'm blessed to have you as my student. But why did God create the world? Because it's God's nature to manifest Shlemut, the divine wholeness, and infinite possibility. Infinite possibility must include yesh and ain, form and emptiness. You see, I told you that these words would return again and again. 
Everything can be understood through them. Do not understand God as a separate being apart from creation who decides to create. God does not decide like we decide. God's will is only to fulfill God's nature. And God's nature is to manifest yesh and ain. This is God's nature. This is what God is, the source and substance of all and nothing. Recall my analogy of the magnets? Remember how the two poles, positive and negative, go together, and only when they are together can there be a magnet? Can we say that the one pole precedes the other? Can we say that one pole creates the other? No. Each pole arises with the other. Its being depends upon the other, and vice versa. There is no first and second. There is no primacy of one over the other. There is only the two forever together. The magnet does not decide to make this happen. This is simply what the magnet is. Two poles held together in greater unity. It's the nature of the magnet to hold these opposite poles in its greater unity. The magnet cannot be otherwise. So too with God. Yesh and Ain are the poles of God. God cannot be God without them. They cannot be themselves without each other. Thus, all rise together. This is what is meant by God's shlemut, God's wholeness and completeness. The shlemut of God necessitates both yesh and ain. The manifestation of yesh and ain is what it means to be God. So I'm going to do something today that we that's different than previous episodes. I'm going to pause in the middle of this letter because the letter gets harder and harder. Uh, this is the most difficult letter uh, that we've come across. And I want to pause and make sure that we're bringing listeners along with us to to uh, to build upon ideas. So here he's he's playing with this idea of yesh and ain. And yesh means there is, and ain means there isn't. And what he's saying is you have to have both. You can't have one without the other. I was thinking about um, how, uh, how we tend to think of space, you know, outer space as being mm -hmm. empty. And how can you understand emptiness if you don't have a planet or an asteroid or a star to compare it to? If all you knew was, uh, was stuff, there'd be no room for emptiness. And if you didn't have any emptiness, you wouldn't appreciate the stuff. Um, so does that balance speak to you, Lee? I mean, do you understand or, or, or it, it does actually as, you know, certainly as a uh, social worker, I'm, I'm a social worker in a school right now in a high school. Um, but I've worked um, clinically with, you know, many people over the, over the years. Uh, and, and uh, I've worked with children in residential settings. Um, and uh, there's a, a particular author that I, have read a lot of. His name is Bruno Bettelheim, who has had all kinds of theories of his and, and uh, things that he's written that have been just thoroughly debunked. Uh, but one of the things he, he talked about was like, well, if you want to understand uh, health, then you have to look at sickness. Mm -hmm. And if you want to understand sickness, you have to look at health. So I think Every, it's yin and yang. Everything sort of, you know, you look at two things together. Mm -hmm. And by the way, thank you for saving the most difficult reading for me. You're so welcome. <laughs> I wouldn't trust this to anybody else. Um, so let's keep going with this sure. idea that God has um, 
has these two natures that must be together, the stuff and the no stuff. Back to the letter. Thus, those who tell you that our everyday world, the world we see from the perspective of yesh, the things we stand on, is illusory and without consequence, they're wrong. This world is of supreme value for it, no less than Ain is of God. Our world is fragile and impermanent, but it is the temporal and fleeting world of yesh that is, that is needed to reveal the timelessness of Ain. And both are needed to express the completeness of God. The sainted uh, Aron Halevi Horowitz of Strastleja, one of the early students of Hasidism, and my teacher's teacher, taught, the main point of creation is to reveal God's completeness from the opposite perspective. Unity in the midst of diversity. Creation happens because God cannot but be God. And to be God, God must manifest that which appears to be separate from God, the temporal world we call yesh. The unawakened human mind recognizes things only in contrast to other things. We know I only in relation to thou. We know good only in relationship to evil. Right only in relationship to left. Up only in relationship to down. The human mind rarely sees beyond these opposites to the greater unity that necessitates them. But the mind can awaken to greater unity. And in this lies the purpose of creation and humankind. The purpose of creation is to manifest the infinite God in the finite world. The purpose of humanity is to know that creation is a manifestation of God. So let's make sure that we process that for a moment. He's saying that the purpose of God is to be. Everything around us is God. That's God's purpose. Our purpose, he's saying, is to acknowledge that. To know that everything is God. Okay. Think about the purpose of humanity. I wonder if you've ever given thought to that before. What is the purpose of being here? Do you have any thoughts? The purpose of being here in this universe. That's what you're... <laughs> That's what I'm asking. What's the purpose of life, Lee? Uh, <laughs> the purpose of life. Uh, boy, that is... that is That's the kind of question where, where you have, like, deep thoughts on the matter, and, mm -hmm. and, then, and then they're gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are... The thing that comes to mind at the moment is, you know, like all the things that are out there that I could be a part of mm -hmm. and I'm not, and I can't um, because I have a chosen set of things that I'm a part of. Give me an example of a thing out there that you're aware of. I, I hear about like, you know, protests that go mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. and, and strife and hunger and, and I, I don't have the bandwidth to help in certain areas. I know that I have peers who are helping in other areas than, than what I'm helping in. Um, I, I help in plenty of areas. But let me articulate what I'm hearing you say. The purpose of humanity is to contribute to what's around exactly. in a positive right. way. Right. And so you're, you see ways that are 
options for contribution, mm-hmm. but your contribution lies over here. Right. But the core, the core purpose we're, is still. We're all doing our part. It's it's a this this swirling mass of everybody doing their best to do what they can in the way that they see as most important and most meaningful to them. Beautiful. We're going to come right back to that. I promise. I love it. So back to the, the book. He writes, why then did God create the heavens and the earth? There's no why to creation. Creation is because God is. Is there value in creation? Of course. For creation is the way God is God in time and space. Creation is holy in and of itself. For in and of itself, it is God. This is what God means when Torah says, Be holy, for I, the source and substance of all form and emptiness, am holy. Holiness is the natural state of reality. We are holy because God is holy, and we are God manifest in time and place. The Torah's command is to be true to our divine nature and to honor the divine nature of all things which is what I think I heard you saying a moment ago, Lee. We are God, manifest in the world. In other words, God needed to create form to balance out the emptiness. We are that form. And as we do what we do, we are acting as God. We are an expression of God. We just, uh, on Saturday morning at our Avodat HaLev service, we were talking about God as a verb. And so when you're contributing to the things that you do, you are godding, so to speak. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Um, This last line is interesting with regard to what I eventually want to talk about, about scouting, uh, to honor the divine nature of all things. Yeah, let's finish the letter and then see where it goes. We're going back to the letter now. When God created humankind, what did God say? Let us create Adam. The, the word for Adam uh, or human is Adam from the same word as Adama, earth. So God says, let us create Adam in our image. Who is this us, the plural? Some say God was speaking as a king who refers to himself in the third person plural. We decree this and we decree that. Others say God was conversing with angels. In the book of Proverbs, we read that wisdom was with God at creation, so maybe God was consulting her. I have a problem with all of these. First, God does not speak in the kingly manner elsewhere in the Torah, so why here? Second, there's no mention of the creation of angels in Genesis, so why assume them? And third, there's no mention of wisdom in Genesis either, so why assume she was there? We don't have to imagine who God was speaking to, It's clear from the Torah that God was talking with the other beings that had just been created. God says, let us make a being in our image after our likeness. And then God fashions Adam from Adama, the earthen one from the earth. No other being was so fashioned, only people. Why? To tell us that we are not alien to this world, to remind us that we come out of the earth and we're not placed upon her. Which reminds me of a quote that I shared last week from the Native American tradition. They have a, a, a teaching that says, When the blood in your veins returns to the sea, 
and the earth in your bones returns to the ground, perhaps then you will remember that this land does not belong to you, but it is you who belong to the land. I love that the spirituality of our Native American uh, uh, forebears mm -hmm. here in this land um, thought about this in similar ways, that we mm -hmm. are just a product of the land. Back to the book. So what is the difference? When we imagine that we are other than the mud and soil and plants and animals with whom we share this world, we can imagine that we are superior. And if we are superior, we can do with them whatever we choose. But if we know that we are that we too are from the earth, then we will not feel superior. We will not walk upon the fields as victors seeking to impose our reign, but as children playing at the hem of their mother's skirt or sucking on her milk-filled breast. I know you will counter by saying, God gave us the whole of creation to subdue and to use. Those are words from Genesis. But I would argue that this is an example of Torah failing to speak divine wisdom. It happens at times, and we can speak at length about this if you wish. My point is that Torah speaks the word of God when that word unites rather than divides. We find two opinions in Torah. One says that we are to subdue nature and rule over her. The other says that we are to honor her as ourself, that we are to realize that the earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Can there be even a doubt in your mind as to which is the true teaching? There's none in mind. God speaks through Torah when Torah teaches us of our fundamental connection with the earth and all she bears. The trees and grasses, the wolves and bears, the oceans and seas, these are our brothers and sisters, our cousins. I'm tempted to go more deeply into this, for the question of the purpose of creation leads, as it already has, directly into the purpose of humanity. I will resist the impulse to proceed, however, suspecting that I have caused enough confusion for one letter. All I ask of you, my dear friend, is that you look to see if my words are not so. Look carefully about you and ponder. If creation is God manifest in time and place, what is the purpose of humanity? I look forward to your insights. Bishalom, in peace. So what I think is really powerful here is that Shapiro, in his, in his presentation through the letter, is beginning to suggest that as we walk through the world, when we realize that we are not special amongst mm -hmm. the materials of the world, that we are just one more manifestation, when we really appreciate that, and then when we look up into the cosmos and we see the emptiness of space and we realize again that we're not separate from it, we are truly just another manifestation of it, then what Shapiro is heading towards is saying that a human being is then going to be inspired to see their role as holy. And when they see the role as holy, then they... Um, they see that the earth is God's and the fullness thereof from Exodus, as he, as he suggests. We're not here to subdue and to tame or rule the earth. We're here to be a part of it. And I love the idea that that would be the, the natural extension of somebody who 
with great peace and perspective sees our place in the world as just um, part and parcel of the whole. So we're a speck. Yeah. Yeah. But a speck with enormous potential. Okay. So talk for a few minutes about the scouts' holiness in the world and your your commitment to the scouting. So uh, Boy Scouts of America, now known as Scouts BSA, um, has a a thing called the Scout Law, which is a scout is, you know, there's 12 points, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. So that reverence is probably the one that uh, people struggle with the most. Um, You know, uh, I ask boys uh, at at every rank, I ask them, how do you do your duty to God? How are you reverent? So what does that mean? Um, a boy will say, like, I don't really believe in God, so um, I, I don't I don't know what to how to answer that, Mr. Bobier. And I'll say, okay, where can you find reverence? What do you find reverence in? Um, do you find reverence outside? Uh, in the, the natural world, when we go camping, do you wake up in the morning and kind of listen to the birds sing and, um, and you watch the sunrise, uh, you, you watch the seasons change, you watch the fog roll in, you watch the fog roll out, you uh, curse under your breath as the, as the rain comes, uh, when you're putting yourself into lightning position because, you know, there's a thunderstorm nearby and you're out on the trail. Um, what, like, do you feel like there's anything larger than yourself at work? And it doesn't have to be a God. It can be, it can be science. It can be weather. It can be, you know, the natural world. So you can't probably know, but if you ask them to tell you about the God that they don't believe in, mm-hmm. what do you suspect you'd hear? Or any of the boys who, who say I, to you, I'm an atheist. I, I, I would, I, so I, I like that question, but I would be concerned that um, even using the word God in the beginning of a conversation with someone who identifies as not believing in God mm-hmm. would kind of recoil from that and say, well, the, I don't believe in God, so the, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah. So if there's another way to ask the question, you know, tell me what you do believe in, when you, when you step outside and you're holding your cup of, of coffee um, you know, after boiling water, you know, and in, in the um, in your campsite, and and you you look at what do you see, what do you experience, what do you smell, mm-hmm. um, like what kind of fills you. Um, so that, you're looking that, for the opportunity to make positive observations about the world rather than right. negative, which is interesting because Maimonides felt exactly the opposite about God. He thought that God was too enormous for us to make any positive statements that would be sufficient, so you can only say what God is not. And you're right, I could I could phrase it differently. I could say something like to somebody who says I'm an atheist, um, tell me what you think others believe about God mm-hmm. uh, or, or something along those lines, because often when I can get people to articulate what they think others believe and what what it means to believe in God, uh, I often find that I don't relate to any element of what they think belief in God looks like. You know, I can say to them, ah, I don't believe in that God either. Right. And when I say that, what I mean is that description of God is not what I see as right. true. But if they can 
bring themselves see they can bring themselves to a point of describing the god that they don't believe in um as you know the outdoors and and nature and spirituality um then um I wouldn't want them necessarily to say like, oh, by as a matter of fact, I do believe in God. Yeah. Like, I don't want the purpose of the conversation uh, to be that. Yeah. I've always liked helping people understand that it is absolutely appropriate to use other words in in the spot where someone might say God. Mm-hmm. In other words, if um, if I say uh, if I say the universe or truth or eternity or science or um, love, hmm. you know, for me, all of those are synonyms for God. So if I know somebody is uncomfortable with the, the word God, and it happens all the time for great reasons, mm-hmm. I can still have a conversation with them about big truths like you're having with the boys. And what emerges is a conversation. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm talking about God. Yeah. And I don't need to put that on the table to, to right. force it down their throat. What do you think? Are there other... Um, other ideas here that we need to flesh out for folks? Um, the, the only other part of reverence uh, that um, that I think is important in regard to how I talk about with boys, uh, this concept of reverence is, is being respectful of whatever other people's views are. Yeah. Because you can't be reverent if you're disrespectful of their views. Um, and, and so... At the very, at the very, very least, although I hesitate to use that word, um, being respectful is a way of other people's beliefs, no matter what they are, is a way of being reverent. I really love that. And I want to take a moment and put a fine point on that because he, he touched on that right at the end of the chapter as well, mm-hmm. or the, the letter, when he says that, um, that God speaks through Torah when Torah teaches us of our fundamental connection with the earth and all she bears. So anytime, according to Rami Shapiro, anytime you find love, connection, unity, um, goodness in the Torah, mm-hmm. it is divinity. But written throughout the Torah is all the other stuff too that, that comes from the hand of mortals, which is corrupted by all kinds of other ulterior motives when it says things like to subdue and, uh, and, and to conquer the land. Um, he says that's not divinity. That's not God speaking. That's another voice speaking. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear you talking about respecting others' views, um, that to me feels like divine wisdom. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to allow them the space to exist just as you in your views mm-hmm. get to exist. It's hard when you come up against someone who doesn't want to grant you the same uh, the same privilege or the right. same right. But um, But if we live in that way, then I, I think we can claim that we are godding uh, as we walk through the world and lift up others, uh, even if they they wouldn't do the same for us. And, and we can also say that we're reverent. Yeah, exactly. Right. What a wonderful way to be reverent. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lee, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you've spent this time with us. You can click below for a transcript of today's conversation where you'll find links to the material that we've mentioned. Each week, I'll leave you with something to think about so that your time with us next week is built on something that you've already been working on. Next week is about humanity. And so your question is, 
what is the purpose of humanity? Lee's offered us one answer this week. Let's see what uh, Reb Yerachmiel Ben Yisrael will have to say about it next week. If you enjoyed this and you want to be notified of new episodes as they come out, you can click on the subscribe button and be sure to share the idea with someone that you know who's going to enjoy exploring spirituality in this way as well. And until next time, all you heretics out there, stand proud. Stand proud.